Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old albums for some reason. Nick. Chris. And I'm Caleb, and I think this week we have a pick from Nick. Nick, what do you got for us? Hey, I have got a pick from 2001. This is the soundtrack to the film Blow. Yeah. (laughs) So is this a soundtrack that you owned, Nick? This was a soundtrack that I enjoyed, but uh, I did not own. Uh, I did own the film on DVD. Mm. And this came out when I was a freshman in high school. Yeah, buddy. My brother owned this soundtrack, and I stole it all the time. Uh, But there's some definite uh, memories of me riding around in my brother's car and us jamming to this the soundtrack and a few choice songs uh, on this one. That's good to know. I I definitely watched this movie. I was um, in college, but I don't, yeah, I'd never, I don't think, listened to the actual soundtrack, although a lot of the songs are familiar to me. Um, yeah, I rewatched the film for this podcast. I hadn't seen it in a long time. Same, same. And uh, we'll talk about it. Let's get into the first track. Starting with track number one. This is Rolling Stones with Can't You Hear Me Knocking." This is from uh, a track off of Sticky Fingers, kind of an album track. Great song. Love the song. Very bluesy. I think it's very telling to, if not the soundtrack, probably to the film, that I think this song is included mainly because there's a line where Mick says uh, she's got cocaine eyes. Yeah. <laughs> there was like a music director who just like got like the, uh, the email in 2001. It's like, we need every song that mentions cocaine. Okay, let's go to askjeeves.com, lyric find, cocaine. Uh, Let's ramp up the dogpile.com and try to figure out. Like us, go get it. It's a pretty uh, long track for the Stones. It's coming in just around eight minutes. It's kind of broken up into uh, two parts. You have the song at the beginning, and then there was a uh, kind of this accidental jam that they stumbled into in the studio where... You know, they finish playing the song and people start putting down their instruments, but a couple of people kept playing. And then they were like, oh, wait, this actually uh, this sounds pretty cool. I think I'm going to put my guitar back on. Is that what that and, is? Because uh, <laughs> it totally does kind of fall apart. And then it's like, yeah, some people said that they like Santana, like influenced that uh, that extended jam on this track. But uh, Mick Taylor, who was a. Uh, like the new guitar player for the Stones at the time, you know, maintains that he's like, no, that wasn't a Santana influence. We, uh, he's like, I swear it was just an accident. Like we didn't mean to do that. And, uh, it's just going to happen. He's like, we didn't even know why they were still taping, but they were. So we were just like, okay, let's keep it going. Like stretch, stretch. And, uh, yeah, that's off sticky fingers as Caleb said. And, uh, 
Andy Warhol designed the uh, the cover for that album, which I guess for for some reason he wanted to include a um, like an actual zipper. Yeah, man, I <laughs> I have, cover I have a copy of this record, and it's it's famous in that you have to. I have it at the end of one of my record shelves because that zipper will just tear up whatever record is next to it. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was a, a for you know it was a production nightmare for them to take on, and I think they. You know, the label said no way at the beginning, but I guess they eventually agreed to it because it was Andy Warhol and the Rolling Stones. But a lot of retailers would complain that that zipper was because, you know, they had to stack them up on top of each other to ship. It was just destroying (laughs) so many of the the grooves and all the records. So I I think at some point before they would ship them out, they would unzip the zipper to where it was kind of landing on the center of the vinyl. So it was... It was still doing damage, but it was it was not trying. It was not imprinting on the on the grooves of the actual record. Yeah, so it's so it's the it's a cardboard cover, but it's the jeans, and then the zipper is real. And then if you unzip it and kind of unfold the cardboard, there's like uh, tidy whities under it. Nice. So nice. you can really get a peep. Yeah, a lot a lot of people th- thought that it was Mick Jagger who was uh, modeling for that shot, but. No, it's apparently no, no one knows who it actually is. There's a uh, yeah, right it's it someone. Is. It's someone in the Warhol yeah. like camp, but he he took so many photos for that shoot that uh, you know, there's different people that are like, that's definitely me, and someone's like, no, I'm pretty sure that was me actually. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it was Bruce Springsteen, and the reverse is <laughs> used in Born in the USA. Uh, if you yeah. turn it around, he's got the hat in the back. Of <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so this this movie, so this is the uh, I would say the last the last Johnny Depp movie of the pre nine eleven era. Well, yeah, okay, it's cutting it close. This is funny. Like I remember the movie kind of fondly. It's definitely in rewatching. It's trying so hard to be Goodfellas or Boogie Nights or oh, yeah, Casino or whatever, and it's like. They even got it's like weird. half the people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, got, you got Ray Liotta yeah. as the father. Yeah. <laughs> Ray Liotta, which is like, it's just, they're throwing more and more old man makeup on him. Yeah. <laughs> the makeup does a lot of heavy lifting in this movie. Makeup and wigs. Yeah. Um, and like padding of stomachs. <laughs> yeah, just like Johnny Depp doesn't age as much as he just gets like fatter and grosser. <laughs> like it's, there's nothing as you know George Young. He just doesn't look like he's getting older. He just looks shittier. <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot that there was you know there was a long period of Johnny Depp where he would go back and forth between like a Tim Burton esque like very eccentric performance. And then he would do like a movie star kind of Brad Pitt performance like this, where it's like he's playing it pretty straight. And I have a hard time taking him seriously on the rewatch. He's like so he's so Johnny Depp. I think that George Young was also having a hard time taking him seriously because similar to when he did Fear and Loathing, where he would have sessions with Hunter Thompson to you know, learn about him and try to pick up his mannerisms. He had ske- this was when George Young was uh, still serving his his twenty year sentence, mm-hmm. and John, Johnny Depp would go visit him in prison. And after a few sessions, George Young was like, "I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore." Because he was like, he was like, Johnny, if you don't have it by now, like you're not going to get it, man. <laughs> Dude, Johnny Depp is 
He is not a chameleon in this role. He just seems like Johnny Depp the yeah, entire he's, time. Except he's got like a pretty bad Boston accent. <laughs> Inter- intermittent. <laughs> this is yeah. also uh, kind of on the on the bleeding edge of the the Boston accent explosion. <laughs> in like gangster films. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's like uh, yeah. He will, he'll be like just kind of talking normal, and then he's like, he's my partner. <laughs> He's my partner. <laughs> like, what? I, I'm not doing it without Diego. He's my partner. And you're like, whoa, I forgot you're from Boston. <laughs> you definitely get the sense that they were filming some scenes and uh, Ted Demi, uh, the director, had to say, cut. Remember, you're from Boston. Yeah, they called you <laughs> Boston oh, right, right, George. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, before we get into the movie too much, let's get into the second track. Here comes track two. This is Link Ray with Rumble. Speaking of like wearing your influences on your on your sleeve, this is also in uh, Pulp Fiction. Also, it didn't make it onto the soundtrack, but it's in the film. We had Link Ray on our Desperado episode, yeah, where Link there Ray's was awesome. yeah, so good. And this is uh, kind of early on, like his early stuff. There was a couple. Uh, I don't know if there was all singles or if there was ever like full releases, but it was all kind of instrumental surf rock. And then later on, he like put out some records that are more kind of uh, conventionally 70s rock that are also really good. This is uh, playing when they've moved to California and they're uh, smoking pot on the beach with a bunch of ladies that are, I guess, stewardesses or something like that. <laughs> Dude, he... <laughs> Johnny Depp looks like he's in witness protection in in these flashbacks. Yeah, they put like a bowl cut wig on him and he wears these huge sunglasses and he's like, I'm a 19 year old. Hello, fellow children. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, uh, I guess part of it is an age thing, but it's like they're spending this entire like section of the film like on the beach. Yeah. But they're always wearing like button-up shirts and <laughs> yeah. long pants. Well, you've got poor Ethan Souple, who's like oh, yeah. you know five hundred pounds. So I'm sure he was like, I just let me just let me keep a button down on for this, if you don't mind. <laughs> oh no, man, he's he's getting eyed by all the ladies. <laughs> Have you seen him lately? Yeah, jacked. Yeah, he like uh, he's looking good these days. He looks great. Oh, yeah, he's looking great, but I think it kind sure. of. Uh, I, I think he, there was a there was like an actor niche that he filled that he no longer fits into. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think he's getting much work. Uh, Mallrats. We'll probably do a Mallrats episode. American History X. We got to do that. Re- like now, we should do that. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, poor Ethan Souple. Like now he's uh, jacked as hell. But what happens is when you lose that much weight and you get jacked, you still have all this like skin <laughs> so like you just have like you know yeah he's like more jack than anyone will ever be but you can't really tell because it's underneath like a like hundred pound of like 
skin. <laughs> but, I think more of like a Jennifer Grey situation where it's like if he gets called in for anything anymore for like a film for an audition, it's like, oh yeah, we should bring in Ethan's and then this like Jack dude comes in, you're like, oh, we were looking for like a big fat skinhead. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I can do skinhead. And it's like, and the script is fat skinhead. Like, oh, okay, well, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> do you guys know, uh, uh, do you remember Varsity Blues, uh, Billy Bob from that movie? Yeah. yeah. I saw him do stand up in Texas. He was hanging around the comedy clubs for a bit and he's done the same thing. He lost like, you know, hundreds of pounds and uh, no one will hire him. <laughs> it's, it's the curse, man. It's like, well, okay. I think of jo- uh, Jonah Hill so much where he kind of like goes up and down. Mm-hmm. And whenever he's like a uh, fat Jonah Hill, he gets an Oscar nomination. And then when he slims down, <laughs> Just like, he'll always do movies that like don't get very well reviewed. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but yeah, what happens to Tuna? What happens to Souple's character in this? <laughs> He, goes, he, into, he stays in Mexico and, you know, Boston George is like, God only knows what happened to Tuna. <laughs> he just stayed in Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> what if they just edited out a scene of him just getting like murdered in the <laughs> desert or something? It's, By Pablo Escobar. Yeah, it's too much. It's too, too heavy. Too early on. Let's jump into track number three. This is The Faces with Glad and Sorry. Faces. I like Faces quite a bit. They're yeah. essentially the same band as Small Faces, mm-hmm. uh, except for one of their members went on to start the band Humble Pie, and then uh, they added Rod Stewart and uh, Ronnie Wood, who would go on to play f- with the Rolling Stones for like a long, long chunk. But it's funny, like a lot of these tracks, you you can hear Rod Stewart singing backup vocals. <laughs> This is off of the same album as uh, Ula, which we had on our Rushmore soundtrack episode. So good. It's a jam, mm-hmm. uh, which I always assumed was Rod Stewart singing. Even though Rod Stewart has a very particular voice, it kind of sounds like it, but no, I think it's like uh, Ronnie Lane. Yeah. And then maybe Rod Stewart's just uh, adding a little bit of that <laughs> in the background. <laughs> To the listeners, if you do hear some uh, fireworks go off, we do have to apologize for that. The uh, the fireworks scene in uh, Bushwick and New York in general right now is just twenty four seven these days. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this song's playing when they're deciding that they're getting fucked out of a lot of money, and they can cut out the middleman and just go to Mexico. Uh, and that's when it all goes to shit. <laughs> it's like the beginning of, you know, well, I mean, there were some great times in there, but, uh, you know. So this, I remember reading, uh, maybe before, right before this movie came out, I remember reading a Rolling Stone article. I can't remember if it was an interview with the real guy, or maybe it was just an excerpt from his book. But so this is based on an autobiography, and it's, it's very obvious that it's written by the main character because it's a lot of people being like, you could do anything you want 
you know, you're so great. <laughs> and <it's, laughs> he just seems to be kind of bumbling. And he, uh, he makes a lot of terrible decisions. He loses a ton of money. And he does a lot else, of sh- everyone else fucks him over. He never fucks over anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, he's he's an interesting focal point for a protagonist, for sure, because, you know, he, yeah, he's just made, he's kind of a bing bong dude. <laughs> he's just kind of there. He's just kind of there. He's like the <laughs> Forrest Gump of uh, the, like, blow situation. Um, right. I didn't want to contradict you, Nick, but I do. I do remember seeing an uh, an interview of uh, George Young uh, talking about Johnny Depp, and he was like, "Oh, he's perfect. He nailed it. He was so <laughs> me. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, uh, it was it was amazing." And I'm sure he was frustrated with them like visiting him all the time in prison, but he he thought he nailed it, which I was like, he didn't do anything. It was a very. I'm sure in in retrospect, and also like, you know, this movie bringing him into uh, like a different level of fame and uh, revenue, you know, after having gotten out of prison, you know, he's still kicking it to this day. And they've started, they've produced a, um, a six part mini series about his life uh, that I believe they're still trying to shop around to, uh, to different places at the moment. Uh, But they do have a, if you follow George Young on Instagram, he does have a link to a uh, a couple of teaser trailers for the uh, for the docu series, and uh, you know it, it looks kind of interesting. But you can you can get the sense why they are still shopping it around. Maybe after like two to three years, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, there's a few. They recently made a, a Tom Cruise film, kind of about another real life guy who would fly a little prop plane down and fill it up with cocaine and sell it for a lot of money and so that's interesting for some reason uh <laughs> it's funny American i was listening made, to I think, is that movie? Uh, yeah yeah um yeah. recently there was uh this podcast or maybe it's still happening the premise is that this journalist somebody told him that they had talked to somebody who had worked at the cia and had said that uh that the band the scorpions they had a big hit called winds of change um that was kind of about the ussr breaking apart or whatever the the story was that the cia had written this song for the scorpions and like helped it become a big hit in order to like bring down the ussr and uh in the course (laughs) of like investigating this whole thing well they get into uh there's a guy who's like very similar to the main character in blow but uh in my mind a lot more interesting where he he had made a ton of money smuggling uh, drugs into America, and he like it turns out he was tied up with uh, Noriega mm-hmm. and like all that shit, like the which was you know even more interesting in a way than Escobar because it's Noriega was working for the CIA to like uh, <laughs> to launder drug money and like get it to the Contras or whatever you know that was like the whole Iran Contra scandal. But this guy he had made all this money. Um, imp- like smuggling drugs into the U.S., and then he used that money to become an influential uh, rock manager, and he was the manager for Bon Jovi, and uh, <laughs> I think like Skid Row and all these bands. Yeah, and, like shout through, out to Sebastian Bach. Yeah, through like all of their Arnick Motley Bucks. Motley Crew. Yeah, like so he's this huge like uh rock guy and then apparently through all of that he he continued importing drugs and then he got uh 
he like got arrested, but then somehow never ended up serving any time. And then he took all these bands to Russia for a big uh, charity concert. Interesting. It was like Ozzy and uh, Bon Jovi and Skid Row and the Scorpions, and he took them to Moscow. Imagine being on that airplane ride. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's wait, a story. Do you think that uh, he was like, he did have ties with the CIA? Or, or I mean, all I, <laughs> or is he just I a mean, fucking liar? <laughs> uh, well, he, I mean, he was dealing with Noriega, who was working with the CIA, and then he got caught bringing in like one of the largest shipments of drugs that was ever like confiscated i think coming into the u.s and then ended up serving no time so i don't know okay i my my take on old george young is like since he's been caught so many times he doesn't have anything to lose and i think he's just like he's doing the wyatt earp move which is like i'm gonna rewrite my own history uh and like anyone else um, can deny it, but by doing so, they're implicating themselves in like some horrible stuff. So, who's going to call me out if I, I say I did all yeah. this? But. There's a lot of in all these stories, a lot of like I was the best at what I did, and mm-hmm. I ended up supplying 80 percent of the cocaine for like the United States, or whatever. Yeah, I think there was probably like a hundred of these guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like can't a, speak out. Yeah. A few of them like got arrested and wrote books. Yeah, a little bit of a uh, the story of the middleman, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's good best way to do business. Uh, what do we got next on the soundtrack? This is this is cream with strange brew. She's a witch of trouble in electric blue in her own mad mind. She's in love with you, with you. Yeah, man, Cream. This is supposedly, uh, some people say, the first super group uh, in rock history. We do. We go through a lot of classic rock acts, and uh, we like to make fun of how many past members, current members, have been in a group. Yeah. This is three people. Ginger <laughs> Baker, Jack Bruce, and Eric Clapton. Yeah. Uh, my, yeah. my favorite story about Cream... Uh, there's this documentary about Ginger Baker that I think is on Netflix. But uh, so basically, Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce, they were in a band called uh, the Graham Bond Organization, which is like, I think, big in England. And they essentially broke up be mostly because Ginger Baker was like a like a terrible psychopathic like heroin addict. He was one of like the one of the best uh, one of the best rock drummers. I think everybody knew, but he was just like nobody could work with him oh no so the the band broke up and uh the lead songwriter and kind of and uh i think he played bass and he sang was jack bruce and jack bruce was like he knew eric clapton eric clapton had been in the like the jeff beck group and uh maybe one of the versions of the yardbirds but uh so they got together when they were like started like making some music and they're like this is really good like you and me like maybe we should do something and it's like yeah like maybe like and then Eric Clapton, like, uh, without telling anybody, invited Ginger Baker to come, like, jam with them because they needed a drummer and Ginger Baker was the best drummer. 
And so this guy, Jack Bruce, was just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> I had a successful group and we broke up because of Ginger Baker. And now I'm in another group with Ginger Baker. <laughs> it's like, I didn't know you guys had beef. Sorry, guys. Need a drummer. What do you want to do? <laughs> what can you say, man? He's a, uh, he's a great drummer. You keep running into the guy. <laughs> so like, good. Hey, remember me? <laughs> What's up, man? I, I, I'll give you that $100. I swear, I I meant to bring it with me. I know I owe you money. <laughs> um. It's super funny being one of the other couple of guys from uh, the Grand Bond organization. They're like, oh, we, man, we were right on the verge of crossing over in the U.S. And it would have been great. But, you know, Jack and, and Ginger, they just couldn't get couldn't get along. And it's yeah. like, have you heard about Grim? <laughs> what? <What's-> <laughs> oh, they're... They're in another group together. Oh, I did not know that. Wow. wow. Great. Great. Wow. <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> this song's a little out of place. It's like 1967. And I was like, whoa, did we go back in time to a 60s pool party? Because <laughs> the, the scene that's happening is um, Bobcat Goldthwait is like measuring oh. the purity of it with uh, of the cocaine. Now we've moved on to coke. Uh, oh, it's such a such a funny scene with Bobcat. Yeah, <laughs> he looks especially strung out. Uh, he plays this. He's so great in this role. Yeah, everyone's doing a uh, really great job of looking strung out. In this movie. <laughs> yeah, a little, a little too good. Sweaty and gross. Um, yeah, I th- I thought this movie. I when I saw it as a kid, I put it on like a pedestal, thinking it was one of the great uh, drug dealy movies. And I didn't, I didn't realize till, until today, like looking at the Rotten Tomatoes, everyone was like, this movie was just a rip off of uh, Boogie Nights and kind of run off of Goodfellas. And it didn't. a lot of people didn't like it. And then it does sort of just lose steam halfway through. And it's just a slog, a, sla- a sad slog till the end, man. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is a combination of uh, Goodfellas and Boogie Nights, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I mean, everything... Yeah you know, as a remix to some degree, but you know, the movie is entertaining. And then, you know, about an hour and a half in for that last half hour, it's just, uh, it's a real, it's a real sad party. (laughs) Well, you know, so many of these movies, you know, they don't want to admit that they just want to show how fun it would be if you were just making a ton of money and doing a ton of drugs and you're just like living this lifestyle. But that's really the selling point of this movie is that we had it all drugs women <laughs> drugs big piles of drugs a lot of money drugs More women <laughs> not enough places to put money <laughs> movie sells itself out at the end where all of a sudden it's like the only thing i ever cared about was my daughter uh, you didn't know that before now because i never mentioned it because uh, i don't know why i never met i guess i didn't care about it before <laughs> uh, eh, they kind of mention it they pepper it in there a little bit but you're you're very right it's like sure you did sure buddy <laughs> All I ever wanted was a family and tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> like, <laughs> look, when I made sixty million, I was like, maybe I should focus on this daughter. <laughs> like he didn't. He got out so late. He was like, eh, I decided to get out. I, you know, I'd done enough. I'd made sixty million dollars illegally, and I thought maybe now's a good time to just call it. <laughs> like you should. Oh man, that's why the guy was such a bing bong. It's like. <laughs> You know, you're making that much money. You're going to get in trouble when you start buying houses and cars and planes. And uh, I guess there were just like, you know, no rules back then for certain things. Like 
you just fly planes like wherever you felt like it. Yeah, man. Well, I the seventies. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself in the plot, but uh, they like they very much rip off Goodfellas uh, in the in the transition to him being like uh, strung out hmm. and uh, and kind of losing control with the with the cocaine use. Damn. But the oh yeah, reality is is that he's like the best at what he does. And he's everything's going great, and then he gets screwed out of his connection uh, by by his partner Diego, and then and then it cuts to you know the uh, the Goodfellas helicopter scene. Uh, except for I think chronologically, only like a couple months have gone by or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like in, in Goodfellas, it's like a decade, right? It's like the transition from the seventies to the eighties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this music is happening boom 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 this is uh this is one of the few um trackless things that's almost in order i think it is in order and how it appears in the film and we're like 20 minutes into it with this with this song (laughs) you know what i mean and then like uh around i think after blinded by the light it's like an hour before another song appears in this movie. It's all, I mean, there's some other great songs, but you know, they just don't appear on here. Let's see, let's, uh, let's hear another track. This is Ram Jam with Black Betty. That's a that's a great song. This is uh, our first cover, yeah. As far as I can tell, our first cover of the uh, soundtrack. It's an old. Yeah, I think that's right. This is the uh, yeah old Lead Belly uh, yeah. track that they're ripping off in a uh, you know kind of an interesting way. I love this well, song, man. I think, it's, I think it's even older than that. It's like an African American like work song. Um, mm-hmm. And then supposedly Lead Belly was the first person to record it, but I don't know if that recording exists. Um, there's a lot of versions of it. There's, there's like even more recent versions than this, but this is probably my favorite version. I think so. Too. I would say this is like definitive Black Betty. This is uh, when it's like it took 36 hours to sell like you know 12 kilos of coke. Like this is oh, is that when like the yeah. who's the actor that plays uh, his uh, connection? Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, it's Paul, Paul Rubens. Rubens. Paul Rubens, baby. Paul Rubens is like. It's going to take me like a year to sell this. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, we sold it in 36 hours. <laughs> yeah. I think that's part of, uh, in rewatch, this is part of this film's weakness where there's a lot of, we were the best at what we did and we could have done anything. And it's like, there's no way we're going to sell all these drugs. And it's like, oh, Black Betty. It's like, we sold all the drugs. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. There's no explanation of like what they did or yeah. or. Yeah. Like, do they have guys on the street? It doesn't. It didn't look like he had any underlings, you know. No. Neither of them. And they were just like, we showed up to a party and said, "Here are bags of cocaine." It was the funniest part when he's. Uh, there's a scene where he's meeting with uh, a lot of like the um, like the drug cartel people, and 
they're checking in on how the business is going and how his connection with Paul, his unnamed connection, yeah, Paul Rubens, and uh, he's like, it's doing pretty good. Um, it's sixty dollars for for this amount of uh, cocaine, and you know, not everybody can afford it, but uh, you know, actors and uh, musicians. Uh, they love it and all the cartel people are like nodding at each other oh yeah actors musicians yeah we like that that's good <laughs> that's uh that was Scientology's pitch right yeah, yeah. it's doing pretty good actors musicians oh yeah, yeah right we like that that's good it's good it's selling like crazy they just keep paying for it I don't know yeah so that's another thing that uh that probably undercuts how good uh Johnny Depp is at his job where the minute he lets loose just the name of the person that he's handing the drugs off to, he gets completely cut out. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, man. Like, oh, okay, well, it seems like uh, everything's working fine without you. <laughs> yeah, like, they they kind of, he, he can't not admit it, you know, like, very early on when he's like, oh, my, I found this guy who's going to fly it. Um, and I found the people that are going to, you guys are going to distribute it. Um, so I get a million dollars for that, for putting you two together. <laughs> They're like, why? You don't need to talk. Why are you talking? <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Give me a million dollars, though. <laughs> uh, dude, Paul, Paul Rubens is really good. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Uh, he's somehow his character... Also, uh, <laughs> when you talk about people like having their their crash and burning and being strung out, like uh, one of one of the early guys in the one of like his friends from Boston who gets involved with smuggling the pot into the East Coast, yeah, Dooley. Yeah, as the actor, he was. I remember him from Unforgiven. He's like the kid. You catch up with him later, and he's like looking rough. Yeah, and like Tuna disappeared. But like uh, towards the end of the movie, you see Pee Wee Herman's character. Or Paul Rubens' character, and he's like, "How's it going?" <laughs> it's like, "Ah, it's all right." It's like, "Sorry, I screwed you." He's like, "Hey, sorry, I screwed you." Sorry, and it's like, "Yeah, that's okay." And it's like, "Yeah, they screwed me too." Okay, that <laughs> right. it was just business. And he immediately gets busted right after they have that conversation <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> for like the tenth time. <laughs> just a just a nonstop cycle of going to jail with uh, George Young. Oh man, worth it? What do you think? You think it's worth it? Yeah, what's the what's the over under there? To make sixty million dollars, but spend like you know you're like over fifty five years in jail. Well, I think that the big <laughs> we're talking <laughs> the whole time we're talking about the end of the movie, but uh, <laughs> when it turns out to like whatever panamanian bank he had like stored all his money in they just like socialized and <laughs> yeah and took all the money i think that kind of if you're if you're weighing the worth it or not worth it i think that kind of is the worst part <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's like i got screwed again panama did it to me this time that's the that was the most one of the most stressful scenes is when he goes to that bank and you know the teller is like um this is the president <laughs> of our bank uh here go ahead you, you should talk to him the president's like yeah we uh we nationalized and um really uh we're sorry man really i mean I don't, we're sorry I'm really sorry someone should have called you is what they said yeah, they, they should have they should have called you like earlier but i mean uh, it's one of those things really really sorry man i was sweating mm. Mm. 
<laughs> All right, Nikki, what do we got next on the soundtrack? We are coming in to more fireworks. We are coming into track six. This is Blinded by the Light, Manfred Mann. With his very unpleasing, sneezing and wheezing, the calliope crashed to the ground. This song, man. <laughs> this song's great. This, I, I mean, love this song, okay. man. I gotta say, this is a cover. This is a Bruce Springsteen song off yeah. of his first record. And yeah, this is a sanitized cover of a <laughs> I think Springsteen that it's, I think song. That it's better. I, 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 like think it's, I think it's better. I like Springsteen all right, but that uh, that proggy like uh, synthesizer, is that yeah. organ or whatever. Yeah, the, the organ. <laughs> this song's great, break. man. What do you got? What do you got along? I mean, I used to listen to uh, 93.7, The Arrow, in Houston growing up. That was the big uh, classic rock station. And, I mean, this is maybe one of the most played songs on that <laughs> stage. I've heard I've heard this song so, so many times in uh, my life. <laughs> English group, but this is a very Houston song. <laughs> oh, man. It's, yeah, very H-Town. Um, you guys, I'm glad you uh, kept in the... Uh, contested line in there um, oh, yeah. the, so in the original bruce spring scene it's cut loose like a deuce and this one is revved up like a deuce <laughs> and then uh, right. uh, we're talking we're talking about a uh an automobile yeah, yeah a like deuce a the deuce, deuce coupe. coupe yeah but uh everyone but you, you know, know everyone made a joke that it was uh wrapped up like a douche uh yeah i think it's a, f- a famously misquoted i don't i don't even want to say misunderstood just not understood <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah an egg corn if you will uh but uh, uh man manfred man so this is actually at this point they're known as manfred man's earth band which was uh kind of like the 70s prog rock version but they were originally just manfred man mm-hmm. and uh one of their early hits was a bob dylan song called the mighty quinn which is, it was like back when he was writing songs for people. So it was recorded by them before he ever like released a version. Uh, yeah. This band is like dined out on other people's songs like for decades. They're pretty great though, man. There's some, yeah. there's some, there's some pretty wild uh, B-sides from Manfred Mann. Uh, <laughs> one Way Glass uh, is a great one I've mentioned before. Uh, I found Dude, that. Uh, do what diddy that was like their first do what diddy diddy don't diddy do it's great it's great i think it was that was in stripes i'm sure <laughs> something like that <laughs> chris hit us with the point in the movie that this song is playing this is when uh he had just met pablo escobar and it's literally like let's do business and it's like man did man on the lap and then it's like you know montage of like <laughs> drugs, boobs. Balls, cocaine at people's faces 
That is a pretty fantastic montage, I do. Have to say. And it's like all the photographs, and uh, it's like yeah, half yeah. of them are women in bikinis with no tops on, and half of them are just mountains of cocaine and people like, you know, fist bumping and stuff. Yeah, it was it was a great time. You know, that's when it's uh, listing all like the in in nineteen. If you were snorted coke in the late seventies or early nineties, you had an eighty five percent chance that it came from us. So like. Man, when he meets Pablo Escobar too, it's such a uh, like intense introduction because you know he's like, "Hey, look there, he's over there." Yeah. He just like sh- <laughs> has his guys like shoot a guy in the head yeah. as like the precursor to meeting George Young, and he comes over and he's like, "All right, let's uh, let's hop in the car. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about negocios." You understand? The guy that they have a uh, play- yo comprendo. Uh, Cliff Curtis is the guy that's playing Escobar here. He's a Maori actor who's like constantly playing. <laughs> yeah, just different races. I don't know if he's ever played a Maori in a film. It's always <laughs> like he's from New Zealand and he's playing like Indian guys or Middle Eastern or. Uh, in this case, Colombian. Yeah, man. Yeah. He's so good, though. He's I love great. that actor. He's, but yeah, I think there's a whole YouTube video of him, and it's like a super cut oh, yeah. of all the different um, nationalities he's played. And he's like, he's never played New Zealand. Hey, man, I I respect him for it. If he's happy, I'm happy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I, dude, Johnny Depp's like Spanish in that scene. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all—it's almost as good as Brad Pitt's, um, like Arrivederci, <laughs> Arrivederci. Yeah. <laughs> I also do love uh, Jordi Malas. Um, you know, he plays uh, Diego. Yeah. You know, Georgia's uh, business partner. I thought he was fantastic. Oh yeah, that guy is like Weasley. I mean, yeah, he's so good. I think. I guess in a better movie he would be playing a character that you would not immediately distrust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, he's, I think he, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about, we should rank the performances in this film. I would put him towards the top and maybe uh, Penelope Cruz towards the bottom. <laughs> oh, come on, man. You're going to give her a raspberry. Yeah, yeah, man. She got nominated for one. <laughs> She won. Didn't she win? Maybe she was only nominated. I think she was also nominated for Raspberry for uh, Vanilla Sky. Yeah, I thought she was good in Vanilla Sky. Everyone else yeah. did. Yeah. Doing caricatures, doing professional caricatures of Tom. <laughs> yeah, believable. But yeah, I, we could get to it in a bit, but I, I guess I should mention it now before uh, before I forget. But yeah, Diego's turn is yeah less than um unpredictable i'd say and like you know like the first drug deal you see them do together he's like yeah i don't trust you i don't trust and he's like in front of everybody else and he's like why do you keep these secrets from me and then um you know johnny the funniest thing is johnny depp getting shot is probably the way i would handle getting shot in like a room of like trying to do a business deal he's like apologize person that shot you <laughs> yeah guys like, here here's where everything is yeah. here's the keys to the place yeah. um, it's a very dark and like, like okay i maybe i shot myself i don't know i got shot hey, hard I to say it was a ricochet like thank you guys so much for stopping by um if you need anything else on the way out but um i'm sorry thank i'm sorry yeah thanks so much it was really good to see you guys um i'm just, I'm just gonna stay here on the bed if you don't mind i'm just gonna sit down for no 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 don't worry oh, oh i'm gonna sit down for a second <laughs> uh, okay that's why yeah, it's the best uh, that's why it's the best then <laughs> you know he gets he takes the bullet bites the bullet and is still courteous 
Dude, Diego, even Pablo Escobar is like, I would rather not do business with him. <laughs> yeah. He is going to screw you. Maybe me. No, he's, he's a my, liability. He's Johnny my partner. Like, now he's a, I was in prison with him for a while. I guess he's, I have loyalty for him. I don't know. Yeah, you knew, you definitely knew Diego's fate. His fate was sealed when they were having that uh, conversation when they're in the bunk beds. Yeah. You know, sh- sharing the cell, which is which is shot really cool with the uh, with the fade ins and the fade outs. Yeah. But you know, he's like George. I overheard you um, saying that you made all your money uh, six hundred pounds of marijuana. It sounds like you had a dream. He's <laughs> like, go to sleep, Diego. <laughs> <laughs> tired. I can't sleep. I could have a dream if maybe you let me get some sleep. <laughs> and he's like, no, George. You had the wrong dream. <laughs> Have you ever thought about cocaine, George? Like, Shut Diego, up! Diego, knock Shut it off! <laughs> I can't dream. You're keeping me up, Diego. I think about that all the time when it comes to pursuing comedy as a career. Somebody's like, here's the thing, Chris. You dream the wrong dream. Podcasting. That's the dream. <laughs> Shut up. I can't sleep. <laughs> Uh, man, let's get into track number seven. This is Willie Rosario with Let's Boogaloo. the wedding yeah is this like the uh the colombian wedding because this is like a puerto rican salsa song i think but maybe i don't know yeah this is when johnny depp and uh penelope cruz uh, lock lock eyes penelope do that instant regret you're just like nah seems like a bad idea (laughs) like everything you're saying and and uh everything she's doing looks like it's all gonna end terribly She's engaged to this uh, drug cartel guy that I'm in business with. Maybe I'll try to steal his wife, (laughs) his future wife. Narratively, it doesn't really work. But, uh, you know, I I know enough people in the real world where they just show up one night with a new girl and you're like, oh, no. (laughs) So it is one of those. (laughs) It's like, hey. Have you have you met my new wife? It's like, uh, it's yeah, like, she's, oh, she's really really skinny. He's like, what does she weigh? Like eighty pounds? Yeah, give or take. <laughs> yeah, George, George. <laughs> the uh, I guess they got like Vegas married or something, and then they're like underneath that little like you know wedding. Uh, what, what do you call those? The wedding arch or whatever. There's a little gazebo guy. Yeah, and she's like passing out, like almost like coked out binge during their wedding. Like, yeah, that's probably going to end great for everybody. (laughs) And it's also, if you think about, um, I think any divorced dad, especially in prison, who gets to write the entire story and like uh, when they get to write the character of their (laughs) ex-wife, there's a lot of those like, 
uh, honey, please don't start cocaine. You know you're pregnant. It's like, I quit smoking for you. Shut up. <laughs> you're like, oh, boy. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She has that really great uh, pronunciation for hypocrite in that scene that I love where she's like, you're such a hypocrite. <laughs> Yeah, Penelope Cruz, I don't know if she's going to win any awards for this. We'll have to see at the end of the episode. <laughs> All right. Dude, she, rough in this. I I miss Penelope Cruz. I feel like I haven't seen her in anything lately. What, like, uh, Yeah, she hasn't been in a ton as of late. She's been doing some Almodovar films. Yeah. Um, I think that she's a good actress, but... I love Penelope Cruz. Um, this movie, oh boy. I think I told you I watched Vanilla Sky with my parents. Um, and it's a good family get together movie. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Tax apart. <laughs> Tax apart. Shall we retire to the media room yeah. and watch Vanilla Sky as a family? Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, she was naked in that movie. And I don't know why I said this, but in my like, you know, sophomore high school brain, I was like, oh, I didn't know Penelope Cruz did nude scenes. And my parents were like, what? I was like, it revealed like so much info that I wish I could just like back away. I was like, so that means. I've either like looked for them before or like I'm aware of a lot of uh, Hollywood women that have done nudes. <laughs> yeah, like he was, he was scouting like does. Yeah. She does nude scenes. No, she does not do nude scenes. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was your barometer for, uh, <laughs> I don't know what came out. I, I don't even, yeah, I don't know what came out of my mouth. And then I just remember my parents just not responding and then like looking at each other. I was like, well, shouldn't have said that. That's stupid. Let's uh, get into track number eight. This is Casey and the Sunshine Band with Keep It Coming. Don't build me up just to let me drop. Don't stop me now. Casey and the Sunshine Band, just as so eloquently as George Young refers to 100% Colombian cocaine as disco shit. (laughs) Real disco shit. I, uh, you know, I'm a huge, uh, like, disco apologist. I love disco. And there's kind of like, disco, I think, uh, collapsed under its own weight a little bit by becoming a parody of itself. Yeah. And so you kind of when you talk about loving disco, you kind of have to make a spectrum of like, I think my favorite disco is some like weird Italian 80s shit. That's like synthy and like you haven't heard very much. And then kind of goes over and it's like, what is your, like how cheesy are you willing to get? And And then the other side is like Saturday night fever. Yeah. And I think like Casey and the sunshine band are like on the border. They're like pretty cheesy, but I still love them. But I I actually like, really love them yeah <laughs> where i think anything cheesier than that i i like can't even listen to yeah but even though they're on the border they're like still so so good 
Yeah, you're right. Not far after Casey and the Sunshine Band is like disco duck. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just like like the the Flintstones doing a disco commercial for food, fruity pebbles or something. You're like, that's not yeah. that far. But like the, yeah, the '77 Miami Dolphins like cutting a disco hit or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was something I heard on Stern last week. The segment was that the village people decided to fire the police officer. <laughs> yeah, I heard about uh, because. I heard about that. In, oh. in light of in light of the current uh, situation going on, I remember just recast him. They they were talking about it for a while, and then either JD or Gary chimed in, and were like, "Hey, you know that was that that's that's not real. That's fake news. Be careful. Stay away." <laughs> it's like an not a real article. headline. It's like an yeah. onion or like a hard time or something. Yeah, it was like hard times. <laughs> I was just just like put like a crossing guard like. Thing on him. Well, well, they all, you know, they like all the members of the village people represent gay fetishes, right? Yeah, that's the funniest part of that's about the it. funniest part about all of it. It's like there's the cowboy one, there's the uh, construction worker one, there's the like man in uniform one. <laughs> like it's it's all to play to different, you know, some some wear a bandana that's yellow, some wear a bandana that's green. <laughs> it's just like we're all cruising. <laughs> Yeah, I I would actually say that I think the village people are a little bit over like across the Rubicon from like uh, disco that I allow myself to enjoy. Yeah, I, I I can't really get into the village people. That's fair. It's a little a little bit too cheesy. <laughs> this song was uh, playing during the I guess is it his fortieth birthday party or whatever like the huge Coke Mansion. Uh, it was his for some reason. For my 38th birthday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My wife decided to get all my friends back together. And that's when he sees Paul Rubens again. Yeah. And the only thing that's really changed about Paul Rubens is that now he wears a Lost Boys style earring. Yeah. yeah. And a bolo. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those and a bolo tie. <laughs> where, yeah. Johnny Depp is like, he's spending like half the shooting of this film in the makeup trailer. They have like these indexed of like what year it is and like the stomach insert that the wig, the sunglasses and like Phoebe Herman just looks the same. The exact, like the entire movie. <laughs> um, yeah. This film takes place in 1955, 1968, 69, 76, 80, 87, 1990 and 1994. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Runs, runs the full gamut. It's mm-hmm. like skip a couple of those nineties ones. <laughs> Just uh, you know, I mean, those yeah. Eight. I don't. I don't think any of the characters convincingly age in this movie. Yeah. Um. Even the parents, who, by the way, I love uh, Rachel Griffiths. Um, oh god. <laughs> but she's uh she's uh, Australian. She she plays the uh, she plays the mom. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh she, man, her, she's her mind, so young. She's cruel. It's terrible, um, but uh, I think she really leaned into like you know she she's has an Australian accent. She's Australian, but like she definitely is like oh Boston, Long Island, that's the same. I'll just <laughs> like I'll just be like I'll watch Goodfellas and interact with um, you know Ray Liotta the same way his wife did in that movie. <laughs> like it's the same thing, just a total carbon copy. Ray Liotta is like I I watched Goodfellas like five times my own movie just to nail my own accent i'm just gonna do myself yeah yeah Yeah, man he just yeah he gets ratted out by his mom the first time he uh, goes to jail 
It's just in her defense. Brutal. In her defense, I think my parents would do this. (laughs) (laughs) If I all of a sudden was like a wanted criminal, maybe not. You know what? Maybe my mom would. Dude, not in the what is it in the seventies or something? It's like yeah, no way. Like in the seventies, like if you if people in your neighborhood see your like felon son show up like how long is it going to take for the police to find out about it like a week yeah <laughs> like, there's no... one of my favorite lines in the movie i'm, I'm probably going to butcher it a little bit but it's after george young is in the cop car and you know his mom is screaming at him and as she's going back inside she looks over and sees the neighbor she's like what are you looking at miss quagmire your son's no prize <laughs> yeah <laughs> dude i speaking of like the difference between now and the and the 70s or 60s when he he gets out of prison for the first time and then he he within days of being released he flies to columbia and like makes a deal and then he packs his suitcases full of cocaine and then goes through customs on his own name yeah. Like, is there, is there no system that, like, this guy is a parole drug runner? That's, and to maybe just poke around his, his luggage if he's coming from Colombia? Yeah. His name is nowhere in any kind of system that's going to flag him in any way. I don't know. This guy's the best at what he does. So, Dang. yeah, man. <laughs> Boston George. <laughs> hey guys, we are coming up on a break. Oh, it's time for a break. Uh, at the end of the episode, we are going to add a song to the track listing Spotify playlist. Favorite drug dealing song. Uh, and then I think we have a game after the break. I do have a game prepared for us. A new game. Oh, shit. Ooh. With new rules. <laughs> <laughs> All right. S- scared. Scared. Stay tuned. What's up, track listers? Oh, no. oh, no. <laughs> this, is, this is the new way we're doing track No, no, let's, let's no, go no, with no, it. No, this no, is no. going well. Are we doing this? Okay, okay, okay guys, okay. No, we love to hear from you. So uh, please reach out to us on a variety of different uh, social medias. You can find us on Instagram. That's at tracklistingpodcast. Uh, you can rate and review in the iTunes store. And you can email us at Gmail tracklistingpodcast at gmail.com and uh, please tell your friends tell everybody you know that you think might enjoy the podcast about the podcast also I think iTunes doesn't exist anymore but whatever <laughs> 2020 here yeah. we come uh, Spotify you can follow our uh, official tracklisting playlist on Spotify and you know send in your own recommendations Spotify still exists today's episode is brought to you by Lisa Mattresses our unofficial sponsor <laughs> we're all laying down as we record this I'm a purple guy to be honest I don't know. Purple. Bidding war. (laughs) Lisa, purple. Fight it out for us. Come at us, purple. We love y'all. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the soundtrack to Blow. But before we get back to the soundtrack, I have a new game prepared for us this week. Yeah. This game is called Rhyme Time. Rhyme Ooh, Time. Okay. This edition of Rhyme Time is a music and movie mashup round. Okay. So Tree. the way the game works is there will be three rounds, and each round will have two verbal clues. The answers to each clue will rhyme, and you'll get one point for each correct answer. Okay. Okay. Are we working together or are we working against each other? You guys are working in tandem. You guys ready? Maybe. I think so. Bring it on. 
All right, so here is round one. The first clue is, this American rock artist's song, The Stroke, has appeared in many films, including Blades of Glory, Small Soldiers, and Billy Madison. That's Billy Squire. Okay. All right. Chris is feeling good. You're feeling good. Yeah. I would not have. I'd have known that. Thank you, Chris. The stroke. Stroke me. Stroke me. <laughs> it's Billy Squire. Very good, Chris. Let's see if that rhymes with something, maybe. Okay. Okay. Clue two for round one is in this 1993 Christopher Columbus comedy drama, Harvey Firestein plays Frank, <laughs> a makeup artist who creates a prosthetic mask for his brother Daniel. This is Mrs. Doubtfire, Billy Squire. <laughs> Yeah, Billy that Squire. is correct. This is Billy Squire, Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. All right. Chris, you knew the movie, right? I didn't have yeah, that in yeah, yeah. Let's move on to round two. Here is your clue one. The late co-founder of this American rock duo had his childhood street renamed in his honor in Forest Hills, Queens on October 28th, 2018. Son duo? You said rock duo? American rock duo. Okay. Hmm. I got to think about it. I got to think about we it. Might, okay. We might need the movie to try to work backwards on that one. Yeah. Here we go. And clue two for round two is Corvassier is the protagonist's drink of choice in this SNL-produced comedy film from the year 2000. It's the ladies' it's the man. ladies' man. Is this ladies and duo queens duo the co-founder is from queens and had the his childhood street renamed in his honor just recently in october of 2018 uh ladies, ladies and man. uh manfred man <laughs> Durant, yeah, Durant, Durant, ladies, man. There's no people. Uh, wrong, wrong country. <laughs> but you're on the right track. Um, what you said, uh, the late founder. You said that. Yes, the late co-founder yeah. of the of the duo. I feel like I remember reading about this happening. That there's because I remember thinking it was a funny name for a street. Um. Oh shit, ladies! How are you guys feeling? You want another little clue? Yeah, Just another clue on the band. All right, the Alex Timbers directed Broadway show "Oh Hello" that features Gil <laughs> Faison and George St. Geeland. Uh, this is the the two characters, one of maybe their uh, their favorite artists, Steely Dan, ladies, ladies man. man. That uh, is correct. How dare I forget? On October. 28th, 2018, in Forest Hills, Queens, there is Walter Becker's his childhood street is has been Walter Becker Way has been added to the uh, to the intersection. Oh, that's very sweet. Out to Kelsey's yes. parents. Yeah. And who could forget former cast member Tim Meadows yeah. Yeah. classic SNL movie, The Ladies Man. <laughs> I can't forget it because I've never seen it. Yeah, it's uh you're not missing out. Moving on to the last round. This is round three. Right. Here we go. You guys ready for clue one? All the marbles. Yes. This punk band's self-titled debut album in 1973 included hits like Personality Crisis, Lonely Planet Boy, 
and looking for a kiss. Oh, God. Uh, no. Looking for a kiss. Uh, T-Rex? No, they're not punk. Okay. Uh, personality crisis. I, I know. I don't know why I can't oh, place it. Oh, uh, New York Dolls. Okay. What's the, uh, what is the movie for this? All right. You guys feeling good about that? You want to hear the uh, clue too? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. All right. Here we go. This 1995 detective comedy sequel features the theatrical tagline, New Animals, New Adventures, Same Hair. That's got to be Ace Ventura, When When Nature Nature Calls. So New York Dolls, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) Very good. Nice call on New York Dolls, Chris. Yeah. For a kiss. Yeah, that is is the New York Dolls and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective 2, When Nature Calls. (laughs) I'm impressed that a movie that has a has the colon when nature calls needs a tagline on top of that. <laughs> I feel like when you- there's a lot of there's a lot of text involved in this release. I think it. That's a good game. That was fun. That's fun. Man. Let's uh, get back into the blow soundtrack, shall we? Let's do it. Yes. This is track number nine. This is J Girls with Yellow World. Kawaita Very Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of a lot of frilly organ work there. Okay, so I made a mistake. Uh, the previous um, song was playing at the. Uh, uh, it was the Keep It Coming. Casey and the Sunshine Band was playing at another Coke Mansion party. Not oh, yeah, that was the, uh, the New Year's party, right? New Year's Where... party, and then this song's playing during Paul Rubens's New Year's party, and so it's before oh, they meet up. It's. Right. This is when he calls him to go like, hey, you fucked me. And he's like, have a good New Year's. <laughs> Happy New Year. Gotta go. Yeah, gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> like ripping off Boogie Night. It's like the idea of having the New Year's party be the time when thing everything goes wrong. Falls apart, yeah. Uh, like Boogie mm-hmm. Night, it's like the 70s to the 80s and it makes perfect sense and it's like great. And this is supposed to be a true story. It's just like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the? It's like really you found out about it on the on the New Year's party. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's Hollywood for it's you. Hollywood, baby. Complete bullshit. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the J girls. What do we know about the J girls? Oh, I don't know anything about this band. I don't think I don't think many people do. <laughs> it's like one of those like swinging sixties mondo. I don't know. Is this Japanese or French? I can't tell. There's some great um, like you know, seventies era Japanese songs, uh, that were kind of ripping off of like the go, go, uh, swingers era. I think a lot of them made it onto the, um, kill bill soundtrack. No. Yeah. There's definitely, there's a lot of like American, um, rock, like sub genres that have like completely disappeared here 
that are still thriving in small pockets in Japan, like surf rock and rockabilly and stuff. And really, really into it. Yeah, maybe we should uh, jump into track 10 at this point. Let's do it. Sure. This is Leonard Skinner with That Smell. Whiskey bottles and brand new cars Oak tree, you're in my way There's too much coke and too much smoke Look what's going on inside you Music directors, uh, show don't tell. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> just because you can doesn't mean you have to. Like so, we have a scene where Johnny Depp's character has gotten too far into coke, mm-hmm. and he almost dies. So, do we have a song that's literally talking about somebody? It's like if you do too much coke, you're gonna die. <laughs> we have a scene that we need some music for. Johnny Depp is having a kid. <laughs> And he's packing up, as he finds a suitcase full of cocaine, he's also packing up a suitcase full of cocaine to take to the hospital with him. I need, I need two double when his, when his daughter is going to, if you, maybe some something for that. <laughs> I kind of wish that it was like, as the lyrics were going, he would like pick up a bottle of Jack Daniels. and then Yeah, I, th- I think he uh, grabs like a, it's like a drink from the night before that he just like pounds and throws it. I, th- I thought this scene was pretty great though, because you don't know what he's packing for. And he's like, give me a second. Shut up. <laughs> he's just like, Part of it is that his wife has been pregnant for like, uh, like a few different time jumps. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And he jumps ahead and he's got a new wig on and he's, he's like, I think probably 10 pounds heavier. And it looks like, you know, it's, it's like the boogie nights thing where it, it like jumps 10 years, but <laughs> you don't realize that she's still pregnant, that it's been like a month and a half or something. Yeah. Yeah. And he finds his car keys in like a like a bowling bag full of cocaine. <laughs> oh, it's happened happens to the best of us. Uh, <laughs> but then, I mean, I thought he like you know he's standing watching the birth of his child and he's like shaking and he's like, I felt better than ever. Things were taking <laughs> off. I've never felt more connected to my family. <laughs> and then he passes out and that the next song starts, which we'll hear in a moment. But. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they could have gone with like, uh, there are, it sucks that those songs sound pretty cheesy. Um, like, you know, Leonard Skinner's like, basically like, don't do cocaine. <laughs> like, it's very bad for you. Uh, and then there's like white lines by, um, uh, Oh yeah. The, Blow. Blow. Uh, and it's like, don't do it. <laughs> and you're like they were trying to like help out their friends you know they're trying to help out the youth but it just sounds like so cheesy in retrospect like an anti-drug song oh yeah man that smell <laughs> smell of death is all around you it's a pretty dark song man <laughs> well that was also a song that was like way heavily played in uh in houston on classic rock radio to the point of exhaustion yeah, well i think it uh I mean, part of it is that not too much long after like uh, the record came out, there was like the the plane crash killing most of the people of the band, right? Yeah, Leonard Skinner. Yeah, 
or definitely the guy, the one who wrote this song. But I don't believe it was drug related. I think it was uh, plane related. Yeah, I mean, in the seventies, all those like crappy like Cessnas were just like you know they called them like doctor killers for a while because like you know some doctor would make a bunch of money and be like hey i can afford a plane now great <laughs> like, you know they'd like go to aspen or something and then just it would be a crappy plane with a crappier pilot and they would just wreck so it's true people people kind of talk about it like it's some sort of anachronistic uh coincidence that like buddy holly otis redding Leonard scully's bands like went down in planes it's like i know those planes must have just been going down left and right <laughs> yeah it's like uh yeah you sp- you buy the cheapest plane because uh, <laughs> you know and then like all the good pilots are getting paid way more than the pilots <laughs> like that you've hired so makes a ton of sense to be honest and also the good pilots were like hey quit doing drugs on our plane we're not gonna do that <laughs> like you know so you gotta you gotta hire a cool pilot who lets you do whatever you want on the plane it's like listen man if you uh if you just keep us on the runway for like hours and hours and you just show up unexpectedly wanting to fly somewhere we're not gonna be at our best <laughs> it's true it's true how many how many uh band members would you guys guess have been in leonard skinnard over the years over under well when i saw them it was like the brother of the main guy singing i think they i was like how is this possible that they're still touring because yeah, cause it's, it's a fam- talking about the uh, the van zant brothers i guess well, it's kind perhaps. of uh, it's like a famous band that died in an airplane crash and then you find out that they're still touring <laughs> yeah i'm like how does that work uh, i'm going to say 25 yeah i'll i'll say 26 27. Oh! <laughs> wow, Chris. That was the old Price is Right move. <laughs> Such a dick move, but it, it works so well. Dun, 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 dun. There was some band that we were reading about uh, together recently. It was like Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You oh, know, yeah. it, something claimed that they had had like 120 something members over time. And not a single. I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a little bit questionable. Yeah. It was, I, yeah. Somebody had compiled a list of uh, how many band members, like classic rock bands, have had, and they had Blood, Sweat, and Tears as at number one. I don't know, man. Maybe so. I saw that. Um, what's his name? Bernard Purdy was uh, on that list, and it, his credit was like, yeah, he came in and uh, played with us for a little while on a song one day in the studio. I was like. I don't know if you could count that as a as a band member, but yeah. All right, what do we got next? We're coming in on track eleven. This is Bob Dylan with all the tired horses. All the tired horses in the sun. How's I supposed to get in a riding done? It's a, I think that it, it it's a symptom that this film and the soundtrack had way more money behind it than it probably deserved and that they we're able to license a Bob Dylan track that Dylan doesn't sing on. Yeah. 
<laughs> like it was kind of it was like a neat kind of atmospheric song that I could see working well in a film. I don't remember. Is this when he's in the hospital as well? So you're hearing that smell and then he passes out during the birth and then it immediately transitions into the song uh, pretty much back to back. And that's when like there's a doctor talking to him like, like, I don't care what you do, man, but you're going to die if you keep doing this. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't give a crap that you do uh, this much cocaine a day. But uh, he, he claims to have snorted 10 grams in 10 minutes. Yeah. Once in his life, which I find to be just impossible. And they were saying what one gram is like the human toxicity like threshold. Uh, yeah, they, they say that a gram to a gram and a half is like the normal toxicity. And, you know, he claims that he was doing five grams a day on the regular and he once snorted 10 grams in 10 minutes. Well, like, I don't know. I have a hard time believing this guy would exaggerate anything. <laughs> yeah, come on, you, you can, guys. We can trust George. <laughs> well, what was it? Um, Ma- uh, Mick Fleetwood saying he snorted two miles of cocaine or something. Is it him? <laughs> he bro- he he, con- he converted into miles. Well, <laughs> yeah, he claimed that, and then I was like, what? Like, why would he say that over like all the you know the other systems of measurement that are probably better for you know they're much easier and then um like there's some reddit things they're like doing like there was some subreddit called like they did the math and like somebody broke it out and then i like talked it over and i was like well okay so like this this makes sense like based on this 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 and that and it was he ended up doing like you know two kilos of coke to himself like in his lifetime which like okay (laughs) all right i guess that checks out wow I wonder. I wonder if Dylan like cut them a, a deal, where they like reach out. And they're like, "Listen, we want one of your tracks." And he's like, "Well, my going rate's going to be like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and like maybe two hundred fifty thousand if you're going to include it on the uh, the actual like soundtrack release." And they're like, "Oh yeah, we want that uh, the first track off a of self portrait." He's like, oh. "It's like I don't think I even sing on that one." You don't? Like, no, no. It's <laughs> it's just some ladies and just like one thing over. And he's like. I'll give it to you for fifty thousand. <laughs> no, they probably <laughs> they probably fucking lit a bunch of money on fire for this. I mean, the film was like a sixty around a sixty million dollar budget. Jeez. Oh yeah, and I I think it was a flop initially, and had some like extra international money come in, and probably had some good DVD sales during the time but yeah in theaters it was kind of a uh, financial flop at the time yeah well, yeah totally like even <laughs> with international it uh it brought in 83 million on a budget of 53 but it's like even like uh domestically you usually double the budget for like promotion and stuff so they, they yeah. lost a lot of money <laughs> Yikes. yeah should we jump into track 12 yeah, yeah what do we got marshall tucker band with Can't You See. Gonna climb a mountain The highest mountain A jump off Nobody gonna know Can't you see Oh, can't you see What that woman Lord She been doing to me What that woman's been doing 
Yeah. I think I was a little bit surprised at this point in the movie with the soundtrack where I felt like I should have been hearing uh, Harry Nielsen's Jump Into the Fire. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like, we can't just completely do a Goodfellas soundtrack. We got to. We'll do we'll do Marshall Tucker Band here. Yeah, this is that like nineteen uh, seventies Southern rock uh, emotional blackmail track. That's just like <laughs> it's so specific in its like wistful nostalgia. Yeah, that you can just like put it anywhere. <laughs> emotional. Blackmail. Can't you see? Can't you see? see that George Young was a great father for two <laughs> years. Look how good all he, is. he ever wanted his entire life. All he ever wanted was a relationship with his daughter who was just born five minutes ago in this movie. <laughs> There's a couple of times where he says heart without a Boston accent. And then he kind of corrects himself. Oh. It's on screen. He's like, you're my heart. You're my hat. Yeah. You're my hat. Yeah. We'll keep I it. Told in. You just my the, uh, the young actress that plays his daughter, is it Emma Roberts? Emma Roberts. It's, uh, yeah, it's her screen debut. Julia Roberts' uh, niece? Um, I did not know that. That makes a ton of sense. I can't remember if it's... Uh, I hope she's not related to Eric Roberts, but I assume he, she probably is. It's Eric, Eric Roberts', Roberts uh, daughter. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, I think that. Kelly Cunningham. <laughs> and yeah, Aunt Julia Roberts. Um, Eric Roberts is the the John Voight of the Julia Roberts verse, <laughs> the unwanted acting relative. <laughs> I used to see. I think I was telling you guys John Voight, like before I moved out of Williamsburg. Uh, yeah. He would just like he was always at the same coffee shop that I would go to. I'm not sure if he like lived over there or what the deal was, but I used to see that guy all the time, and just seemed like kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> in general, every now and then someone would, uh, you know, see him from like across the street and holler at yeah. him and come take a photo with him. And, you know, he would always like embrace the the photo op moment. But yeah, just uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a menacing old man wandering around drinking cappuccinos every day in Williamsburg. <laughs> I, t- I text why him. Is he here? Why, why in Williamsburg? He lives there. He lives there. But why? No, I, why? But why? <laughs> Why? He, Why? He's like a he's a right wing like lunatic, and he's an actor. So all the business is in L.A., and so he's basically found the one place in America that's as liberal as L.A., but is not convenient for what he does for a living. I assume, like he's he has a recurring role on Ray Donovan, which is even set in L.A., right? So it's not even like he's working on a TV show out here. He just wants to be in one of the few places where people will like boo him. Well, I saw him outside of the AT&T store in Williamsburg and I texted you guys. Shout out. And he was on the phone arguing with somebody and somebody recognized him uh, on the street. And he like stopped, to, he stopped arguing to like smile and take a picture. I was like, Oh my God. And he, and he looks like death. Like he looks like old man winter. Like he does not look okay. So, yeah. I mean, every time that I saw him, he was with a uh, with a very young lady. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. cool. Yeah. So there's that. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> cool, dude. Just a cool, cool Brooklyn guy. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, Emma Roberts was great in this. It's just like they even painted like his own daughter was like not understanding, you know, and you're like, maybe it was 
your fault, George, that she was mean to you. But he's like, I did everything I could. I was in prison saying I loved her, and then she didn't like me for some reason. <laughs> Oh, man. It's kind of jarring personally. There's a there's a portion where uh it turns out to be him imagining, but it's you get to see her grown up, yeah. but since it's Emma Roberts, you know what she looks like grown up, so she just turns into a different person. That's true. And then it's just like, oh, like just kidding, never should her father. Should have just uh, taken the kid the kid actor and put a wig and like uh padded out her stomach. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think the wig budget had been exhausted by that point in the filming. She's, uh, you know, she's related to Johnny Depp. You could just put one of the old wigs. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's hereditary. <laughs> it's got that, uh, that 1960s LA mop top hair. <laughs> you guys know who originally, uh, like came up with the idea to turn this into a movie and wanted to play the, uh, to play George Young was Dennis Leary. <laughs> I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was going to be Derek in this. I thought he was going to be Paul Rubens' role. Oh, really? That's what I, I read a thing that like he read the autobiography mm-hmm. that George Young wrote, and he uh, was friends with uh, Ted Demi. Ted Demi was one of his best friends. Mm-hmm. Ted Demi also passed away just a few months after they finished filming this movie from a uh, cocaine overdose. Are you serious? <laughs> oh yeah. my god! Ooh. How right, many uh, directors work method? Um, yeah. And, uh, I guess when Dennis Leary and I read that when he initially approached, uh, Ted Demi and they, and they, you know, contacted George Young while he was in prison to, you know, with the, to sell him on this movie, uh, Dennis Leary maybe had it in his mind that he would play the role of George Young, but yeah, maybe, maybe that got shot down and then he was like, well, I could do the, I could do the connection part. Right. And Ted Demi's like, Maybe maybe you shouldn't be in this at all. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Like, I could be I could be mistaken. You you might be right though. No, I think I think it's it, I, what I just re looked at it. It was he was originally cast in Paul Rubin's part, but um, I don't know okay. what happens. I, I it didn't say anything about him. I don't think he had the star power to carry this movie in 2001. This was pre Rescue Me. This was pre Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. You know. This all right. So. Uh, Maybe you guys don't agree with the premise of what I'm going to ask you, but I I think that this movie would be more convincing with someone else in the lead role. Uh, Who would you recast the lead role in? My nomination would be like Jeff Daniels. I think that somebody who seems well-meaning, but is you could kind of (laughs) be like, oh yeah, this guy's going to fuck everything up. And (laughs) like Johnny Depp just, he seems like, too sharp in the moment for what the character does which is a bunch of stupid shit i was kind of focusing on johnny depp's hair for a large part of the movie which is you know fantastic and maybe should have won an award (laughs) dude i can't figure out where is where is johnny depp from because he has a weird manner of speaking that's very particular to him and uh this isn't the last time that he's he's like committed himself to the boston thing he did the whitey bulger film black mass or what's it called black mass uh yes Um, it was which was also not great i could i can't tell you who my dream uh actor would be but i could tell you who could be worse in that uh (laughs) as george young um vince vaughn Uh, well yeah of course (laughs) too tall too tall um you know i'm gonna say eric roberts uh i'm gonna say eric roberts could have done a decent job in this 
Um, it looks like uh, he's from or he was born in Kentucky, Johnny Depp, but he was raised in Florida. So that makes oh. sort of. I feel like maybe they could have like started filming half of the movie with Eric Stoltz and. <laughs> Oh, and then maybe like halfway through, they were like, you know what? We're going to have to reshoot everything. And he's like, not again. <laughs> this happens every time. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't think that I don't think Johnny Depp's convincing. I didn't. The role. He was he was the least of my worries in this. I just I realized <laughs> the plot of this sucks. It's like <laughs> you get all the fun stuff out of the way in 20 minutes. And then like, it's just, well, now we got to get him in trouble. And so, like, there's an hour of just, like, stuff not going that well. And then it's the long slog till the end that's like, look, I, I had to do one last uh, grift to, to pay for my daughter's child support. That was the only way I could do it. That was the only way yeah. I could pay for my daughter's child support was to deal, like, 100 kilos of cocaine. And then I got that part. Yeah. So depressing. <laughs> but, like, I don't believe it. I don't believe him. I don't believe no, no. like his motives in it. The amount of like body padding and wig work at that point, <laughs> but it is funny that he's just like it's it's funny because you're supposed to be seen it's believable in that he's going through the same like ha back in the rhythm like this is all right guys sitting around a table as but it's like you never saw that part of like the deals that went right. Yeah. Yeah. Of like the we're just sitting around after our like job well done time to like like fucking bury our heads in coke and like you know what i'm gonna give you some more money but it's just like so sad to see him be like Haha, look at us a couple drug runners this is great and everybody's looking at each other, like oh boy and then like steven seagal knockoff is just like sorry man <laughs> i thought that was a baldwin brother for like half of the time because he it might be. It's not. Yeah. It's not. I checked it out. Oh, man. Yeah, he, he looks like a bald one. To me, he looked like the guy uh, from Lawnmower Man. Um, who was like a, Scott Bakula? No, no. Oh, the guy that plays the Simple Jack. Of, um, yeah, yeah, he was the Simple Jack. And then he was he he was in some Tarantino. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. Let me, I think he was in Heat, too. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up. You guys keep talking. Okay, you know who could have done this well? And we, we still have one track on this, so maybe we should get to that. <laughs> but um, it's uh, Russell Crowe, I think, could have played a convincing guy. Oh, interesting oh, okay. taste. He was pretty, he, w- he would have been coming hot off a of gladiator. Hot off a of gladiator. I think he could have played a good, like, everyman drug pusher sort of guy. Don't you think? I hate that. Uh, Jeff Fahey is, is who I was talking about, the... Who I thought he was. He's got big blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And that like big old mop top. Hair. Big blue eyes will take us straight into track 13. This is Nika Costa with Push and Pull. And now I'll never, never make more sense to him. No soundtrack would be complete without a uh, 
a song thrown on there by the supervisors of a uh, an, an up and coming label hopeful. <laughs> yeah, this one it sticks out. It's a weird one. This is a weird uh, weird last track on the soundtrack. And I want to say it's all it's none of the vocal parts are used in the in the soundtrack. I could have missed it, but I don't remember any of the vocals in this song. Oh, I thought you were going to say that like none of the vocal parts in the song have any reason why they should have been recorded. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, if my follow-up yeah. comment was that uh, it should have never been recorded. Yeah. Um, I did say that uh, this artist, Nika Costa, she, she, I think she toured in support of and has collaborated with Lenny Kravitz. I don't know if that checks out. Oh. Sound familiar oh, no. too, huh? You can feel a little bit of Kravitz's greasy fingers. Lenny just had a video. He was just on the Tonight Show, the remote episode with uh, Jimmy Fallon, and uh, you know he's like playing some new song, and it's like he cut the video together of him playing every instrument. <laughs> and um, I think maybe he has like someone come in and play like one other part at some point in the video. But you know, it's just like a ton of Lenny's. Yeah. And it's so unnecessary. Like, you know, we've talked about Lenny a bunch before on the podcast. You know, he was talking about the fact that he's sitting on the the Beatles console in his Bahamas studio. Yeah. And he, he has all this great gear that belongs in a museum. And he was thinking about unloading all of his music gear. And we were for it. <laughs> we were all about Lenny getting rid of his musical equipment and, uh, just you know abandoning music as a as a project i think uh, completely almost all uh musical musical performers he's lenny kravitz is uh he's like uniquely outfitted for the time that we're in because he always has a scarf around his neck mm-hmm. and he can just pull it right up he's protected he, he can pull it up and then he can shred and then he could pull it out and be like pressure are you gonna go for it? Hey, and just pull it back. His, sc- his scarf is big enough to wear like you know if you're around him and you have forgotten to put your mask on, you, use, you know, he can probably, you could use his scarf as well. It's, it's big enough. So inoculate the entire room. The entire- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just watching him show off that he can play all the instruments. You're like, Oh, good for you, Lenny. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Jesus. As your, you know, digital media intern edits it all together. You know, and he's right. got that style of a guy in a studio that like doesn't wear socks or shoes. Doesn't need to. The beach is right it's there. Just, beach is right there. Dude. Yeah, the, the, the barefoot like recording mantra is just something I can never get down with. It's just like put put your fucking shoes on, man. You send that clip out, and one thing I have to cop to is that uh, Lenny Kravitz looks as good today as he did when I was like twelve years old. Yeah, timeless. I, I'm lapping him, like age-wise. <laughs> He's getting younger, you know. He's he looks great. He looks younger than his daughter. He's in better shape, you know. It's weird. God, maybe it's the scarf. It, it's the scarves, guys. Or the hats. It's it is. A, it's yeah. a health reason why he wears the scarf to protect his neck. I'm not even kidding. That's why <laughs> Nick Acosta may or may not have uh, performed with Lenny. <laughs> We're not sure. Listeners, please, please yeah. write in. I need to get to the bottom of this. This album dies uh, with some like Grey's Anatomy bullcrap, and then it's just fade to even fatter, older Johnny Depp. Uh, 
All right. Well, I guess it is, uh, it is time to review. It's time out of uh, 15 stars, uh, decimal points allowed, 15 kilos of cocaine. <laughs> uh, Chris, do you want to lead off? I would love to. Uh, <laughs> I'm tired. I can't fight it anymore. Oh. This is wow. the first time. So enthusiastic. I would I love, love to. I, I love every song on this soundtrack except for maybe uh, Push and Pull. Uh, but that's at the end, and it's kind of like, eh, if you're still around, you know, but just skip it and go to Can't You Hear Me Knocking Again. Uh, I think this is a terrific soundtrack. It reminds me of my youth, uh, not dealing cocaine or anything, but just listening to this. Um, I'm going to give this a 14.7. The only doc is uh, Push and Pull. Sorry, sorry, Nika. Um, but. Nika, nice. That may be Chris's highest rating it is. yet. It is. It's a great. It's, it's also it's chronological, which never happens. Um, and I, yeah, just some jams on here, disco-y jams and like hard rock. It, it's got a great vibe. Um, love, love it. Love the soundtrack. All right, Caleb. Uh, zero to fifteen kilos. Uh, you want me to review out of out of kilos, stacking them we're gonna up. Mix it. We're going to mix it up. Snorty snow, the snow that goes uphill. Uh, <laughs> the snow. So thirteen tracks. This is funny. Uh, so it is a movie that is um, very derivative of better movies, and it's funny. Like you don't think of a soundtrack uh, generally as being derivative, but there's literally like there's a Pulp Fiction song. There's like a some Scorsese songs. It's like there's uh, there's nothing to dislike about the songs themselves, but it <laughs> I don't know. It is an uh, derivative. <laughs> so so yeah, it is yeah, yeah. derivative. Yeah. And uh, I think didn't you mention that the film spans from the fifties to the nineties or sixties to the nineties? Yes, fifty-five to like ninety-six or something. Okay, and uh, every single song on here is from like maybe 65 to 77. <laughs> I don't think there's any music from the 80s. Definitely not from the 90s. I don't think there's anything from the 50s. Uh, it, ah, it's funny because it's it's not really fair to, to criticize a soundtrack uh, by its relation to the movie, but, uh, but it's hard not to. I do love how there are like a lot of like... Um, like album tracks, like the Stone song is like great and not one of their like hits, you know, in quotations. The Faces song is great. Um, I'm going to give it a 12.2. Uh, 12.2 miles of uh, cocaine that Mick Fleetwood snorted. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Caleb. Let's see, zero to 15 kilos. I'm going to have to give this a 13.0. I think a lot of this soundtrack is great. The only two tracks I would have to dock it for are Nick Acosta, Push and Pull, and maybe Yellow World by J Girls. But um, I can't knock the movie for or the soundtrack for being derivative because everything is derivative. <laughs> I mean, so much of the music, too, is so well utilized in the movie and I can certainly appreciate uh, what Chris pointed out is that it's it's so rare that you hear a soundtrack that functions chronologically, and uh, you know when that happens, it's kind of cool, kind of like a little neato yeah, thing. I appreciate it. Um, but um, yeah, 
Great job. 13.0. No score, no wasted space. I thought, you know, solid stuff. 100% pure (laughs) 13.0. We do need to move on to our recommended track. And the theme is our favorite drug dealer oriented song. Who wants to lead off? Lead off if you don't mind. I uh, I was tempted. A lot of a lot of the, my favorite music is from, you know, the '60s and '70s. And there's a lot of uh, I was tempted by like some, uh, you know, like Lou Reed has written a lot of great songs about drug dealing. But I was like, I feel like we've we're you know we've been we've been soaking in the music of the 1970s for what an hour and a half now. So uh, to mix things up a little bit, my track is from 2002. It's a uh, it's a song, you know, there was a genre probably has spanned about a decade, uh, a subgenre of hip hop called cocaine rap. And this is a, a track by the clips. It's produced by the Neptunes, which is, this is like a very early uh, track produced by Pharrell Williams. And I think um, Chad Hugo was his production partner, but it's a very spare, but also influential uh, production beat. This is a clips with Grindin'. I'm clean like a cripple. Balance way through the hood. Kids call me Mr. Sniffles. Other hand on my nickel. Plated whistle. One eye closed, I'll hit you. As if I was slick, Rick. My aim is still an issue. Lose your soul in whichever palm I'm holding. One'll leave you frozen. The other nodding doze, and I'm grinding, Jack. So probably not like a, a new track to a lot of people, but uh, I've been, I kind of recently have gone back to some of these early Eclipse records and I think they're really good. And I think uh, they're, I don't know, I think they're maybe not underappreciated, but but uh, fun to listen to. I remember um, freestyle rapping over that uh, beat. Uh, that was a very cool oh, no. beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's... Um footage of me doing that somewhere um that should be burned immediately <laughs> but that was like no i would scour the internet for instrumentals and uh that was uh something i found that like made it onto my rotation of practice tracks <laughs> so. yeah i mean that was a huge instrumental i think it was probably a little bit self-plagiarized for the drop like it's hot beat mm-hmm. that they did for snoop like a few years later mm-hmm. and uh it's it's funny because I remember the Neptunes being this kind of like, like hip. You know, it's kind of like the early days of of knowing like who were producing tracks, mm-hmm. and uh, they like did some some Jay Z beats, and they did like ODB, uh, Got Your Money, and then uh, like when they worked, they worked with Clips. They had a, a like a relationship where I think the record after this, they produced the entire album, which was like really cool. Because it was kind of a uh, a rare thing at the time that um, the rappers would have like one unifying aesthetic for for an album because it was all produced by one person. And then of course, like now, Pharrell Williams is like this huge like impresario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is the hit- but, uh, yeah another uh, another ageless wonder like Lenny. <laughs> Lenny, what's the secret sauce, Lenny? All right, who wants to go next? Uh, Chris, do you have a uh, recommended track for us? I do. Uh, I have a song called Trial Time uh, in from 1999 by an artist that goes uh, uh, 
Mr. Big or the last Mr. Big. Depends on who you talk to. Uh, let's hear uh, this hilarious but awesome track, please. Kill me in this motherfucking coat room. So motherfuck you, fuck the judge, fuck the DA, and fuck all you weak ass. I got to make a plan, cause them laws is on my ass. I just got a bird and I gotta sell it fast. They know about the down payments on my third house. They know about the diamond in my little sister mouth. They know about the beans in the black pathfinder. They know about the vacation trip I took to China. They know about the hoe I was fucking named Kathy. Heard she got busted with a bird in Tallahassee. And now they trying to say that the yay belong to me. I know they trying to get me cause these niggas keep holding their nuts on me. Dicky suits and bulletproofs and steel toes. No fake ass niggas, only some real hoes. I pack my shit cause it's time for me to go. I'm getting tired of- I'm not going to lie. When you first said Mr. Big, my first thought was... Uh... That song by Mr. Big from like the 80s or 90s. It was like during that like extreme era <laughs> of music. It was like to be with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Uh, different, yeah. uh, We're in a different territory. territory. This is the last Mr. Big. Uh, he's a rapper from Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he died mm-hmm. five years ago and didn't really achieve like any sort of notoriety. Had you guys ever heard that song before? No, I've never heard that. <laughs> that was uh, definitely his biggest song, but it's it's called Trial Time. And the beginning of the song, he's like doing an interview outside the courthouse um, talking about how they're never going to like convict him on these trials or on these <laughs> in this case. But then he's admitting to all his wrongdoings in the rap. <laughs> so you're like, wait, wait, man, like all they'd have to do is like play this rap song. And then they could put you away. But his thing is, he's like, I got 20 motherfucking lawyers. You're never going to put me away. <laughs> so it's it's really funny to hear him both confess and deny the same allegations in the same uh, rap song. But it's a, it's a great jam. You know, he's a very influential rapper out of the South, but um, I don't think ever made it big. So rest in peace. The last Mr. Big. Nice, man. Excellent pick. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thank you Chris. Uh, Nikki, what do you got for us? Close us out. For my pick for Drug Dealer Song, I've got a track from an album from 1972 that is also a from a soundtrack. This is written and produced by soul musician Curtis Mayfield. I know what this is. This is Pusher Man. Hello, 
little bit of a uh, obvious choice there, but uh, I could not choose that song because I, I love the music from the soundtrack so much. And uh, that song is, is one of my favorites. It's such a jam. We're talking about the, a good the Cable Guy soundtrack, right? Oh, yeah. There is that we what go. You're about? <laughs> yeah. Cable Guy, underrated, man. Very underrated. So Sorry. But, yeah. No, such a great, great groove, great bass line. Curtis Mayfield's the fucking mm-hmm. man. And yeah, man. No, man. If you're talking about uh, all time great soundtracks, uh, Superfly is definitely, you know, top five. I don't know if it would be an entertaining episode for us to do because it's, you know, all Curtis Mayfield. (laughs) Yeah, we'd just be uh, doing some deep research on, you know, one topic, which maybe we could do for like a special episode. Might be an interesting challenge behind the paywall. Yeah. But that is, yeah, great track. Great picnic. Yeah, man. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for uh, listening to Blow. Yeah, yeah we say if anybody uh, hasn't seen the film in a while, it is on Netflix right now. Yeah, It is unlike most every movie that we decide to review a soundtrack for, which is usually hard to find for anyone. <laughs> yeah, um, I was very happy to see that this was on Netflix. So, yeah. What else you guys got? What else do you want to say about uh, Lenny Kravitz and Bob Dylan? Um, we're starting a side project uh, that's called the uh, the Lenny Dillon cast, and all we do is discuss uh, Lenny Kravitz and Bob Dylan. So check that out. Uh, it's two ninety nine per month. Very reasonable. Hope everyone's staying safe. Thank you for sticking with us through these challenging times. And um, I think we might have a pick from Chris for the next episode. That's right. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you boys like disco? Are we doing a disco? Oh, are we doing a, like an iconic disco soundtrack? Stay tuned to find out. Thanks for listening, everyone. We love you. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. <laughs>